Welcome to episode 13 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of the What When Wine Diet, Paleo Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hacked. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during 
during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome. This is episode 13 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hey, everybody. And Jen and I are excited. We actually this week recorded and we we went on as guests on another podcast. I won't mention the name of it yet, but uh, I feel like we're becoming real podcasters now. Like we're entering the podcast community. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. <laughs> it's like all this potential for exactly s- synergy and podcast people. and <laughs> Right. It, w- it was very exciting. It was. It was fun. Um, but how's everything with you, Jen? Anything new with you? Well, I'm continuing to work on my second book and just I'm focused on that. And it, it takes a lot of energy. Like you'll sit down, you know this, as an author, you sit down to start writing and you look up and four hours have passed and people are like, when are we going to have dinner? And you're like, stop, stop. No, don't <laughs> talk. Right. <laughs> so you get caught up in what you're doing. My husband wants me to come look at this paint color and I'm like, stop interrupting. I oh got to do this. <laughs> So yeah, I'm in the flow. So how about you? What have you been doing? Exact same thing. I was going to say all of my thoughts these days are about book writing, like all of my epiphanies, Mm -hmm. Um, because my manuscript is due in two weeks, which is a little bit stressful. Um, (laughs) And then I'm going to emphasize this again, because I keep getting this question. So my book, The What When Wine Diet, I originally self-published it. That version is no longer available. The new version will be 80% new content, and it's It'll be in stores nationwide in January, but you can pre-order it now. Um, but I keep getting questions about that. But yeah, I've just been doing like writing that 24-7. And I, it's funny. I remember I used to always hear my favorite health authors saying one way to mess up your health was to write a book. And now I get it. <laughs> like just standing for hours in one place. It's not good. It's not Yeah, good. and you like forget to eat. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I forgot to have a snack and it's time for dinner and everyone wants to eat and <laughs> – now my pants are looser. I'm not even trying, right? <laughs> and then we keep getting so many great questions for the podcast. And then I'm like, oh, I need to talk about this in the book more. And right, so then I keep wanting right. to add more and more. And it's true. But I really need to cut out like 
2,000 words. I just oh, cut no. out 15,000 words, which I was very proud of. <laughs> wow. That's a lot of words. <laughs> so you and me both. Exactly. Away. <laughs> we have a lot to say. We do. We do. So speaking of, I guess we can just jump into our les- our listener questions. Absolutely. You want me to start by reading the first one? Sure. And this one is from Angie. And Angie's subject is IF and CrossFit. And she says, hi, loving your podcast. I currently fast for 16-8, which means she fasts for um, 16 hours a day and has an eight-hour eating window just for everyone to make sure it's clear. Um, then Angie says, I CrossFit four to five days per week and I'm finding it hard to lose weight. I was hoping you could address the caloric needs during the feasting window for someone who works out a lot. I have a feeling that I am under eating and that my adrenals are fatigued. I love the convenience of fasting and had a lot of success early on, but my feasting window was very strict and not something that was sustainable. Thank you for any help. Have a great day and happy podcasting. Okie dokie. Well, first of all, hi, Angie. Thank you so much for your question. What I want to start with, I'm assuming you think that your adrenals are fatigued. I'm assuming that means you feel fatigued. Um, So I'm just going to start with that assumption. And so you talk about how you were pretty strict with your eating window in the past and it wasn't sustainable. So the first thing that I just want to point out is definitely make it more sustainable. I know you want to lose weight, but um, don't fixate so much on making it strict. I'd really encourage you to eat a lot of nourishing foods to satiety. I would just try to lose the restrictive mindset, especially if you're doing CrossFit four to five days per week. That's really intense. (laughs) That's a lot of activity. Um, So I think you'll actually experience more weight loss ultimately if you just eat intuitively, eat to satiety, eat nutritious foods, making sure you're getting a lot of uh, enough carbs and protein. Um, so that's the first thing that I would start with. And then I can also talk about adrenal adrenal fatigue specifically. I don't know if you want to jump in though first, Jen, about how you feel about what she should be eating in the window. I think that's an excellent point. We don't want to be too strict. You know, she talked about initially having a very strict eating window and that's not good. Um, as you just said, and I do run across that a lot. It seems like the people who um, come un- come into it with, I'm just going to have a 30-minute eating window every day, and I'm going to do this for three months in a row, and I'm just going to eat for 30 minutes, they end up you know, hitting a plateau sooner. They're not losing weight, and they're like, why is my weight loss stopping? Because you're being too rigid with it. I believe that can, that can be a real problem. So you don't want to have an overly strict eating window day after day. Also... You could have a window that's too long. And um, Angie mentioned that she's now um, has an eight-hour eating window. That's longer than I need if I'm trying to lose weight. My perfect window length is somewhere in between a really, really short window and, a, and an eight-hour window. I did well with a, with a five-hour window. And that doesn't mean that every day I had a five-hour window. Some days it was longer. Some days it was shorter. I think the key is... Variability, as Melanie mentioned, eating to to satiety is important, and that's not going to be the same every day. Some days you're going to be hungrier, and you're going to need to eat more within your eating window. Other days you're going to get full faster, and you would stop eating sooner because you're full. So, um, you know, people talk about keep your body guessing. As an example, we just don't want to be too consistent day to day where it's exactly the same. If you're if you're hoping to lose weight, listen to your body. How does that sound, Melanie? Yeah, I agree completely. I'm, I'm like similar to you. I My eating window ends up being around, usually around four to six hours-ish. It varies a little bit, um, but the longer windows don't work as well for me. But I can talk a little bit about adrenal fatigue as well because that's a big issue that comes up a lot, especially in regards to intermittent fasting and especially intermittent fasting in women. Um, there's a lot of concern there, for lack of a better word. Um, So first of all, the question is, what is adrenal fatigue? So um, our stress levels and our adrenals and all of that stuff, (laughs) it relates to our our cortisol and our aldosterone rhythms. By the way, before I jump into all of this, any studies that we talk about on this podcast, you can go to ifpodcast.com and pull up the show notes. And there you can see these specific references if you want to go and look at any of the things that we talk about studies-wise. But back to adrenal fatigue. So there's this term adrenal fatigue, which gives this idea that the adrenals 
somehow fail, that by doing stressful things or certain lifestyles that they just stop working. And the scientific support for that is a little nebulous. Um, there's actually not really in a, any data showing that the adrenals actually stop working. It's just that they start underperforming. So it's more of adrenal dysfunction, most likely, rather than adrenal fatigue. Um, so just a little piece of information with that there. So actually, like a 2016 review that was recently published, it went over all of the applicable studies related to adrenal fatigue, and they concluded that it wasn't a real thing, which I'm not saying it's not a real thing, but I do think it's slightly misunderstood. But in anyways, how that relates to fasting and stress and all of the stuff. So there's this idea that intermittent fasting is going to negatively affect our stress hormones and our adrenals because intermittent fasting is stressful. <laughs> um, but the thing is, intermittent fasting is a beneficial hormetic stress. It's some, more similar to exercise rather than the chronic stress that we experience day to day with like traffic and family and all of that stuff. So I think that's something important to keep in mind. And also a ton of the studies, most of the studies, which look at fasting and its relationship to stress hormones in women, looks at restrictive patterns of fasting. So they're typically calorie restricted protocols. So it's putting a stressor it's putting, it is stressing the body in that way and that the body's not receiving ample nutrients. Um, so I believe personally, and Jen, you can give your opinion on this as well, but I do believe that intermittent fasting coupled with adequate uh, nutrition and calorie intake rather than under eating, which Angie, you said that you felt like you were under eating in the past. I do think that um, that's, those are very different things. So as far as the adrenal fatigue goes, I would definitely embrace Intermittent fasting is a beneficial hormetic stress when you partake in it. And if you're not under eating, I do think it can support a healthy life, lifestyle. Um, and I actually think it supports healthy cortisol rhythms overall. It lines up with our natural pattern of having a cortisol spike in the morning that gets us going, liberates fat for energy, and then keeps us going all day. And then um, at night we rest and we eat <laughs> and feel good. Actually, I'll throw in, because I just read the study yesterday, literally, it was looking at obese women practicing intermittent fasting and how it affected their cortisol rhythms. And it found that meal timing had absolutely no effect on cortisol rhythms, regardless if they ate throughout the day or in the morning or at night. So that was something interesting. Sorry, I feel like I talked for a long time. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Jen, what are your thoughts? Oh no, that's great. That was good stuff. I think the key that Melanie mentioned is is nutrients, making sure that you have adequate nutrients because your body wants to to know that you have adequate nutrients to to run the things that need to be going on in your body. Um, so make sure you're choosing foods that that are nutritious that are going to going to support your health. Also, I do see that you do CrossFit four to five days per week. That's that's a lot of CrossFit. Um, I have read some things over over the years that indicate that if we overdo it with the exercise, it can cause our body to think that we're having some sort of a, a um, like some sort of emergency, and that can send some confusing signals to our bodies. So, you know, maybe maybe you don't need to do CrossFit four to five days per week. Um, maybe relax a little bit. Maybe find some other ways to move your body. Some days a week that are like yoga or something. Some things that are um, not quite as intense because, you know, we're in the, in the, the world now where we feel like if, if exercise is good, then we need to really do it. We need to, you know, if CrossFit is good, let's do CrossFit every day. And maybe we don't, maybe we need to relax a little bit and find some other ways to, um, to exercise your body that are a little more gentle. I agree. Definitely. All right. So shall we jump to the next question? Yes. So this one comes from Brianna. And she says, Hi, Melanie and Jen. I just found your podcast and am super excited because I've been trying intermittent fasting for, for about two months. I would like to try 24 or a one meal a day plan. However, I worry that I wouldn't be getting enough nutrients in my body. Has this been an issue for you? Thank you. That's an excellent question. A lot of people do ask that. They worry that if we're eating in a smaller period of the day, you know, because we've got all these recommended daily allowances that, you know, the government gives us of how much we're supposed to eat. And, um, 
you know, if you're trying to shoot for for that recommended daily allowance and you feel like you need to meet that every single day of every single nutrient, it can be overwhelming. So I can see how that would that would make you worry. The good thing about how our bodies work is that you know, nutrients come in every day, but they don't all have to come in exactly every single day. You know, it's it's more of like what we eat over a period of time. And, and not so much like we have to make sure every day has that perfect balance of nutrients. The thing about intermittent fasting is generally most people who do it long term find that our tastes change and that over time we start craving more nutritious foods within our eating window. That has totally happened for me. Um, I no longer want to eat less nutritious foods. They just don't appeal to my body. So I am like seeking out vegetables I've never eaten before. So interestingly, I think if you looked at my nutritional profile from when I was eating frequently all day long, it was probably pretty devoid of nutrients. Same, same here. I was was eating the standard American diet. I was eating replacement foods or packaged things. And now I gravitate towards fresh foods. I want to eat fresh berries. I'm looking at the greens and I'm thinking, yay, kale, instead of like gross kale, you know. I didn't set out to do this on purpose. So over time, as your tastes change, you may find that you're gravitating to the the highly nutritious foods more so. Um, I'm pretty sure that my body is a lot happier with the nutrients now than it was before. Now, if you are already have always been eating nutritious foods and you don't need to have the change that I went through, (laughs) then you should feel even more um, confident that you're getting what you need. I think part of the the key is making sure you don't eat the exact same foods every single day. I've read some things about that. Um, I'm reading a lot about the gut microbiome. And we tend to stick to the same few foods over and over again. And instead, it's better for us to vary that a little bit. Go out and try some different vegetables. Vary those. Don't always pick, you know, a spinach salad. Try some different things um, so that you can vary what you're getting. What do you think, Melanie? Yeah, and um, something else I'd like to bring up. I don't know. I don't know if it's Brianna or Brianna. I'm gonna call you Bree. <laughs> I don't know if you go by that, but Bree. I don't know if you are confused about this, but I know a lot of people confuse nutrients and calories, or nutrients and energy. So those are not exactly the same thing either. So I I do wonder if you're asking about getting enough nutrients or getting enough energy. Um, in your body each day. So as far as like the calories go and the energy, the good thing about intermittent fasting is it does upregulate fat burning. So you get plenty of energy stores from your own fat stores. So that's really not as much of an issue. But assuming you are talking about the nutrients, which is the vitamins and all of that stuff, um, you can definitely adequately get that even in a smaller window. Intermittent fasting actually upregulates nutrient partitionings. It actually makes your body better at assimilating nutrients rather than when you're eating throughout the day, which is really interesting. Um, But I think you'll find that as long as you eat the satiating whole foods that you're craving, that you'll easily satisfy your nutrient requirements. I personally follow a paleo lifestyle, but I personally recommend like grass-fed meats and lots of organic fruits and vegetables and you can eat superfoods too as well if you like if you want to go crazy i mean people love like um there's like grass-fed liver which i know is crazy but that's super nutrient rich (laughs) Uh, but like egg yolks are really high in nutrients but as long as you're eating what you're craving and those are whole foods i think i really think you'll be fine your body will let you know if it needs a certain thing Yep, that's true. And you'll start craving something that you never would have eaten before. Although I haven't gone gone so far as craving liver. Oh, I, I haven't either. <laughs> no, sorry. I feel like... I must be getting what I need. I know. <laughs> I know. One of my recipes um, for the new version of the book, it's a grass-fed meatloaf with the option of adding in grass-fed liver. So you, you kind of like hide it in the meatloaf so you yeah. won't even know that it's there. Well, I, I would have to do that. So <laughs> you could try that one out. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's funny. So next question. Hi, friends. An incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. 
There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold contamination. Dave has been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof Coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, (laughs) drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof Coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof Coffee, and it is called Danger Coffee, and friends, I love it. It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked farm direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted, and it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee with the coupon code melanieavalon for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10-year decade bulletproof coffee habit but sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. This question is from Sammy and the subject is intermittent fasting goals. And Sammy says, hi girls, IF has really worked for me when all you had during the day was two coffees and a salad with no food after 6.30 p.m. Anytime I've eaten after 6.30 p.m., I have actually put on like one kilogram. Do you have any studies that show that you shouldn't eat after a certain time? I always hear different times like 7 p.m. or 10 p.m., but what is your experience with this? Also, thoughts on soy milk. Thanks, heaps. Sorry, I laugh every time I read this question because of the soy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like such a random tangent. I love it. I love it, Sammy. Yeah. I'm really excited about this question. So to start, I do wonder, you say that when you eat later that you put on one kilogram the next morning, which how much is a kilogram compared to a pound? I always forget. It's like two point something. It's, it's a little more than two pounds. A one one kilogram is like two pounds. Yes, one kilogram is is like a little over two pounds. Oh wow! So I highly doubt, and I've said this before, but I highly doubt in one meal you put on two pounds of actual fat in one meal. It's very, very, very unlikely. So what I'm thinking is that when you eat later at night, if you're weighing yourself in the morning, which I'm guessing you are, it could have something to do with that because you just still have much more food in you. Um, And then it also could relate to water weight and all of that stuff, all of that stuff. Uh, But as far as the studies on eating and certain times, okay, I'm so excited about this question. (laughs) Uh, So people think that eating at night automatically contributes to weight gain. That's the idea, like don't eat late or you'll gain weight. And it's a bit more complicated than that. So 
In general, the studies that look at total fat storage and mealtime eating just in general don't really see a difference in when you eat. So eating constantly throughout the day versus eating uh, just breakfast or lunch, regardless of your eating pattern, the actual food is going to require the same amount of digestion and assimilation. It doesn't really change anything in that regard. But as far as these studies on late night eating, most of the studies that show late night eating results in weight gain, they're conducted in three main types of people. So that's shift workers, people with night eating syndrome, and then the third is that they're epidemiological studies, which means they're showing correlations rather than causation. Those are people who very likely have other mitigating factors that are going to contribute to weight gain. So that's going to include, especially with shift workers and night eating syndrome, that's going to include messed up circadian rhythms, disordered eating. Um, and then as far as epidemiological studies go, it could involve other bad dietary, ha- I don't want to use the word bad, but other <laughs> dietary habits, which contribute to weight gain, obesity. So there's just a lot of factors there that it's hard to say that eating late is what's causing the weight gain. As far as the actual studies that look at night eating in normal or overweight people who don't have these other things going on, they're actually rather heterogeneous. So some of them show weight gain, some of them show no change, and some of them show weight loss, which is massively helpful, I know. Um, (laughs) So I did find one metabolic ward study, which would be like what we'd really want to look at to determine what's going on, because that's where they very tightly control everything. Like these people are, um, it's very controlled what they eat. They can't really make up for what they're eating with other factors because they're they're being controlled in the hospital um, or the ward that they're in. And so there was one that looked at obese women consuming the same amount of calories. They were on a, a diet, a restricted diet. So it was around 1,000 calories. And they had it either as five meals throughout the day, or they had it between 9 and 11 a.m., or they had it uh, between 6 and 8 p.m. And that study found absolutely no difference in weight loss between any of the groups. And they concluded that timing had nothing to do with weight gain. And then, interestingly, there was a group of studies looking at obese women and late-night eating. And the ones where they, the women were just late night eating, they did gain weight and they experienced heightened morning insulin. But then when the women did daytime exercise during the morning, um, it actually completely reversed everything. They actually lost weight, they maintained muscle, and their morning insulin was absolutely fine. So what that says to me is that it's more about the overall lifestyle and the activity during the day and the potential of being sedentary interacting with late night eating that could be causing the weight gain. And then another study, sorry, I know this is a lot of studies, but I got really excited and really did a lot of research. Um, (laughs) Another study looked at police officers and their carbohydrate timing. And so I realized that's not the same thing as um, the amount of calories consumed, but it looked at them eating either carbs throughout the day or their carbs at night because it wanted to see how insulin would play a role. And it found that the police officers who consumed their carbs at night and just had one concentrated insulin spike at night, they had way less cravings, they experienced way more weight loss, and they had amazing hormonal and metabolic influences. So the takeaway from all of this, all of these studies and everything is that there's a lot of factors that go into play, but I think weight gain from eating at night is going to happen when you're eating throughout the day as well. So you ultimately end up taking in more calories in total or spiking your insulin throughout the day. It's it's about the overall lifestyle and the overall factors. Um, Whereas if you're doing intermittent fasting and you're controlling your insulin throughout the day, you're burning fat throughout the day, and then you're also uh, consuming moderate calories just in a concentrated window at night, I really think it's amazing for weight loss. That was really long again. (laughs) I just had so much to say. Uh, So, Jen, your thoughts? Well, there's so much out there. There, you can read. You know, kind of like Sammy asked. You know about. She's heard that it's bad to eat late at night. We've heard that a million times. We, you know, shouldn't eat late at night. And the studies, 
you can find people saying, well, here's a study that shows you shouldn't eat late at night. Here's one that, just like Melanie said, there's so much out there and it's hard to, to sift through them. So we rely on what we've heard from others. And basically, this is still something that they're researching. I read something that just came out the end of March. It was a study on circadian rhythms and they were, um, they were doing some work with mice. And of course, that's always interesting when you start reading mouse studies and circadian rhythms because their biological clock is the opposite of ours. Exactly. It's flip-flopped. <laughs> it's flip-flopped because they are nocturnal. So, you know, to, to mess them up, you know, they, they switch them around so they have to, you know, be awake during the day and that messes up the mice. Basically, the recommendations of this um, study that really talked a lot about the mice had to do with making sure that we're following the natural circadian rhythms of our bodies. Interestingly, though, that is not the same for everyone. Some people are morning people. Some are, are more evening people. We're not all the same where that goes. For me, it made me start to reflect on my own eating window. And, you know, we're in summer now, and it stays light here until, you know, 9 p.m. It's still light out where I live in the, um, in the southeastern United States. And it made me start thinking, you know, do I eat differently based on the light patterns during the winter and in the summer? And actually, I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have found that um, now that it's summer, I'm eating dinner much later than I was eating it during the um, during the winter months. And so I tend to find that I'm not as hungry earlier in the day now in the summertime. And I'm not sleeping later. You might think, well, she's just sleeping. And no, my eyes still pop open as soon as the sun comes up. I'm an early riser. But I think there's something to it. And, and our bodies will naturally let us know when we feel best eating. And that's what I, that's my main takeaway. And Melanie, I talk about this all the time. It's a matter of finding what works for you. You know, if you eat late at night, and then you have a hard time sleeping or you have um, an upset stomach and you, and you don't feel well, that is your body telling you that that is not an eating pattern that is working well for you. So if you also eat slightly earlier and you find that then you can sleep beautifully, that that's a very good sign. So we tend to want to go straight to studies and say, well, this study says this, so that's what I'm going to do. And instead, we forget about our own bodies and the wisdom that we can get from just listening. If you feel well eating your meal at 7 p.m. and then you go to bed at 9 p.m. and you sleep great, that's a good sign. If you eat your meal at 7 p.m. and go to bed at 9 p.m. and you toss and turn and the, the food feels bad on your stomach and like you shouldn't have eaten it, that means you probably should eat a little earlier in the day. I find throughout the Facebook groups, we have people eating at different times during the day. Some people have a morning window and that suits them well. Some people have an afternoon window. And really, instead of trying to find the, you know, the scientific study that's going to prove that XYZ is the best time to eat for all humans, understand that we are not all the same and that you may have a different rhythm than I do that tells you when your body should be eating. So that's, that's my advice for you for that. I do want to go back to one other thing that we didn't mention out of her question. And Mm -hmm. she said that IF works really well when all she has is two coffees and a salad during the day. And that worried me. Um, Oh, I completely, I just, yeah, I didn't even like that didn't register. Yeah, for you me. were you were excited oh. about the other part, but I was so excited about the sleep part. <laughs> Sammy, we need to have a chat. If you are only having two coffees and a salad, and that is all you're eating, <laughs> then I actually think that that is counterproductive to your long term goals because you do not want to be restricting yourself that much. You know, as I mentioned before in the the previous question, when you um or the one before that earlier earlier in this episode, if you over restrict to a degree and you know like if you say I'm gonna do this I'm only gonna have a 30 minute window every day and I'm only gonna have a salad that's actually not good for you long term and it can be counterproductive to your goals so you know perhaps when you're eating after 6 30 and you're putting on a kilogram that's because maybe you're eating more that day and and as Melanie said your body is retaining water because you have a larger volume of food in your system um I, th- I think that you may need to think about, you know, more of a long-term lifestyle and and not just limiting yourself to to the coffee and the salad. I certainly don't limit myself to that that strictly. You need to eat until you are satisfied and your body lets you know that you've had enough food. What do you think, Melanie? I'm so glad that you 
pointed that out, Jen. Definitely, Sammy, I would encourage you not to be that restrictive and to not stress as much about the timing. Um, <laughs> eat more, eat to satiety, eat nutritious foods. I also love the point that you brought up, Jen, about the eating so that you sleep best. And I think that's huge. So some people sleep really well on a full stomach, like me. <laughs> some people me need to go to bed fasted, which I cannot do for the life of me. <laughs> um, so I think the key is just finding, like you said, Jen, what what helps you sleep the best um, as far as timing and sleeping and all of that goes and weight. Right. And like if you're waking up with acid reflux, you know, that that's a bad sign that your body isn't handling what you're eating well. So uh, one other point, what about soy milk? Yes. Would you, do you have thoughts on soy? Well, you know, I have varied with, with my thoughts on soy over the years. Um, I don't have strong feelings about it either way. I don't choose to to drink soy milk because I I use regular dairy. Um, so I'm right now ambivalent about soy milk. I mean, some people, you know, could could give you all sorts of health claims about why it's great for you, and other people could tell you why it's like from the devil himself. So I'm, I don't have a strong feeling about it. Do you? A little bit. <laughs> well, good. See, I don't. So I'd like to hear yours. Um, so soy. Uh, okay. So soy kind of rose to fame when a lot of studies in the 1980s and 1990s Correlational studies looked at Asian populations and saw that higher soy intake correlated to lower cancer, particularly breast cancer. And so it became very, it became the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It became very commercialized and people started chowing down on a lot of processed soy goodies, which by the way, most of the soy in the US particularly is highly GMO um, and sprayed with pesticides and a lot of, just a lot of stuff going on there. So soy itself might not actually be bad. The thing about soy is that it is a phytoestrogen, Mm -hmm. which means it basically mimics estrogen in the body. So it uh, mimics a hormone in the body. And so that's a very complicated process. And the body can respond either negatively or positively to it. So that's why the studies have been all over the board. Like some find that soy intake increases cancer, particularly breast cancer. Others find that it decreases the risk. So it's really hard to make any general conclusions. In any case, the studies that originally showed soy's health benefits are we're looking more at Asian populations consuming soy in its whole foods form, forms like and fermented forms. So like tempa, miso, natto, which is fermented soybeans. And that's a lot different than the processed soy that we get today with tofu and all of these additives and even soy milk. It's very different and there's a lot more potential for problems there. Also, quite possibly a difference between Asian populations consuming small amounts of whole food soy throughout their life versus you've never had soy before and then you start pounding soy milk or then you start pounding tofu. That can send a very different signal to your body. So my personal thoughts on soy is I recommend avoiding it, um, except for maybe small amounts in its whole foods form, but definitely go organic. Um, I really think that that's huge because of the additives and the GMOs. So that's my thoughts. Yeah, I think, I think that's good advice. Really, you can't go wrong anytime you go to the whole food version of something and how it's been eaten traditionally in the population that thrived on it. So if you, like um, Melanie said, the Asian population that eats a high soy diet, they're not drinking soy milk. That's not something that they're, that they're over there having. So that's always a great way to, to remember, is this going to be a good choice? Also, just side note, I, I shudder at the thought of giving babies soy milk rather than... Oh, yeah, rather no, than, I... Oh, oh. I absolutely, I have boys, uh, two boys, and um, I remember when I read about it at first in the whole phytoestrogen, I said, I will never give this to my boys, and I never did. <laughs> Just because there were some some um, questions raised as to whether or not we want our boys to have all this phytoestrogen. And so, mm-hmm. you know, whether it was true or not, I, I determined I was not going to feed them any soy products, and I did not. Good job. <laughs> as a mom. <laughs> Yeah. You get the stamp of approval from me. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> I just 
I remember reading about it quite a bit back in the day. This was probably the early 2000s. So we're probably talking about, you know, 18 years ago or that would, well, that would have been 1999, probably 17 years ago <laughs> when I first read about it. Alrighty. So our last question comes from Becky and Becky says, is it okay to drink broth during fasting? For instance, instant Weiler's broth that has five calories. So short and simple. Uh, Jen, thoughts? Yes. That's a great question. And um, we get this one a lot from people who are starting out to fasting. And it goes back to the whole idea. We're, we're so stuck that dieting is calories in, calories out. And so we judge something based on how many calories it has. So here we've got this Weiler's broth, this brand, and it only has five calories. So if you're thinking like a traditional dieter, you're like, hey, you know, my goal is to cut calories. So this broth only has five calories. So that's going to be perfect for me. And I'm going to have this during the fast. No, (laughs) that's the wrong way of looking at it. When you keep in mind, you know, why are we fasting? If, if you're thinking only that we are only fasting so that we're not having calories so that we can lose weight, you're missing out on the most important benefits of fasting. The whole point of fasting and what, what I like to call fasting clean is that we're letting our body take a break from digesting. We're taking a break from all the stuff we're putting in. Our insulin levels are low. Our body is able to switch over to ketosis we're able to experience the process of autophagy that's our cleansing time of the day our body is doing the cellular housekeeping behind the scenes that's so important so the last thing you want to do is put something in there like like this broth Um, I think it comes in like a powdered form usually you mix it up if you read what's in that stuff it's full of additives and that's the kind of stuff you want your body to be getting rid of not the stuff you want to be putting in your body so I would 100% never never recommend um, any kind of pre-made broth during the fast now some people then say well what about bone broth that you make yourself and um, you know there are a lot of different fasting protocols out there a lot of different fasting experts a lot of fasting books um, one of the one of the more common ones actually does recommend bone broth during the fast, but if you read it carefully, mainly they're talking about in a more of a long term fasting situation. Like if you're fasting for an extended period of time, then your body may need some electrolytes or just you know, some minerals that that you can get from the bone broth. But if you're doing a daily intermittent fasting window. Your body doesn't need all that. I think the very best way to make sure your body is doing what it needs to do during the fast is to make sure you're just having a clean fast. And so I wouldn't recommend, definitely not, the packaged instant broth. But I don't think that you need bone broth either on a day-to-day fast. Now, if you're doing a 48-hour fast, you know, that may be a different story. I would still stick to water during that. But um, that's just me. What do you think, Melanie? You said it perfectly. All of my thoughts, you just you basically said them. Um, as far as the, I think bone broth fasting can be a very beneficial, beautiful thing, but that is going to be different than intermittent fasting that we're talking about here. Um, so that's just a different boat entirely. And then as far as like this broth is concerned, um, if I were to sit down and make a recipe for the perfect drink to not drink during intermittent fasting, it would be this broth. And I'm sure this company will never talk to us again, but (laughs) they're not going to be a sponsor. They're not going to be a sponsor, (laughs) but I I looked up the ingredients. It has basically pronounced them. Well, it basically has every single thing you don't want. It has sugar. It literally says gluten. And I mean, I'm, I'm a paleo person, so this is my perspective. So everybody has their own views, but from my perspective, Sugar, gluten, MSG, citric acid, preservatives, natural flavors, just no, just please, please don't, please run. Yeah. <laughs> I remember actually, really quick story, um, over the holidays, my mom sent me to the store to pick up some instant broth mix and I went to the aisle and I picked up the mix and I flipped it over and looked at the ingredients and I think I stood there in the aisle for like five minutes trying to decide if I was actually going to purchase it <laughs> for her. <laughs> I did. But um, you did. You did, did purchase I did. it. She needed it. Well, you know they have different versions of things. I'm also not recommending this during the fast either. But they have now, um, like a concentrated form of, of things that are like organic. That you yeah, can yeah. Buy. That's what I should have done. That 
Yeah, that rather than like this instant bouillon cube I know. or whatever. And I, I remember I brought about. it back and I was like, Mom, it was really hard for me to buy this. And she was like, I almost didn't have you go get it because I knew that's yeah. what you would say. Well, it's um, true. And, you know, I'm not gluten-free, but I am gluten-free during the fast. So. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> we can agree on that. We your can. Fast, if your fast is not gluten-free, you are totally doing yes, it wrong. I know. <laughs> You know, your eating window, you may vary that, but your fast should never contain mm-hmm. gluten. Can you think of anything that would ever yes. <laughs> be acceptable that would contain gluten during fasting? Same page. So I would <laughs> I would please run away from that broth. And it's not about the calories, like you said, Jen. It's um, right. it's about the cleansing process and everything. Mm-hmm. So And if once you understand that, I mean that is the the most powerful part of fasting is what's happening when we're we're doing that clean fast. So really all the, you know, can I have, can I have, can I have, if it's going to interrupt the processes that are going on in your body, why would you want to have that? Mm-hmm. You need to, because you can have whatever you want later, you know, in your eating window, you know, make your choices based on your personal dietary philosophies at that time. But during the fast, protect that time. The fast is where, where the gold lies. That's That's where we're getting our health benefits. So... Yeah, keep that clean. Yeah, I guarantee <laughs> once you do go completely straight up clean, it, it feels so much better. And it's easier. Yeah. You think it'll be harder, but it really is easier. It's true. It is so much easier. And I love it every time someone tells me that. Every time they say, I didn't believe you that you know a diet soda could make that much difference. And I gave them up and you were right. <laughs> I'm like, see? I know. Like, <laughs> it's or, Sorry. No. I was just going to say the other day. I I forgot my peppermint breath spray that we talked about on the on the podcast. Which, by the way, people are really obsessed with that now. Ever since we talked oh, about yeah. it, um, but I forgot it, and I was having a breath fixation moment, and so I had like a Listerine strip, and it just threw me off so bad. With as, yeah. even just as far as like bringing in cravings and like making me feel a little right. foggy, I was like, wow, like it's crazy. But just a little bit that's, can do. That's the kind of stuff that really hits hits home when you realize, hey, you know, I do feel differently. But you have to first experience the clean fast in order mm-hmm. to know what those things do for you. So if you've never experienced a clean fast, you're not going to notice. But once you do, you add something back in that, that doesn't work well, you're like, ah, oh, <laughs> now I get it. Mm-hmm. You have to have the clean fast first, though. Awesome. Well, this was wonderful. It was. I really enjoyed it. (laughs) Um, So thank you everybody so much for listening. A few quick things. If you would like to submit your own questions for the podcast, two ways you can do that. You can email questions at ifpodcast.com. You can also go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. As far as listening to the podcast, if you go to iTunes, you can actually, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to our podcast and then you'll automatically get the new episodes downloaded to your iPhone app or whatever you're using. And so you won't even have to do any work. They'll just pop up for you automatically. And speaking of iTunes, we would also love if you do have a brief moment to write a review of the podcast. That really helps just ever so much. We'd really, really appreciate it. So yeah, any final thoughts from you, Jen? No, I think I think it was a great episode. We had some wonderful questions and I look forward to chatting with you again next week. Me too. All right. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.